so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Can you hear my stomach growing? No. Okay. That's good. Hilarious. Okay, I can hear it in my headphones. <laughs> that needs to be the intro, Mark. Can you hear my stomach growling? Oh my gosh, it's so loud. You're, I can't hear it. <laughs> it's so loud. Have you eaten breakfast yet? I ate breakfast, but I'm too much. So. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC on behalf of Southern Baptists. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and joining me this week is just my regular co-host by now, my (laughs) colleague and friend, Hannah Daniel, out of Washington, D.C. And it's appropriate because we are going to be talking about the Supreme Court and some just practical things to understand about the Supreme Court, but also uh, give a small update about a pretty big case right now. But before we do that, Hannah, I just want to talk about your morning and how it's been stressful. I told you, I saw your face on the program we're using and I was like, um, you look like you're about to cry. <laughs> Life in DC is not for the faint of heart. It has it has been one of those days, but we're here. We're making it, you know, taking it minute by minute. Which is worth mentioning that one of the reasons that uh, it's been a crazy day is because you were putting together a video for social media for us that will be very helpful. So listeners, be sure that you go over to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you check that out to learn some important information about uh, the abortion pill case, which maybe you've heard that phrase talked about lately. And Hannah, as we start our conversation about the Supreme Court, why don't you introduce us to this abortion pill case? what's going on, and why it's important. Yeah, and I'll start with a disclaimer that this case is moving and developing really quickly. So what I say now may not even be accurate by the time you're listening to this um, or by the time the podcast comes out. So this is a case in which a coalition of pro-life medical groups are arguing that the FDA was wrong to initially approve the chemical abortion drug mifepristone back in 2000. And since then, they're arguing that the FDA has further hurt women and girls by taking away important safety precautions surrounding chemical abortion. And, you know, chemical abortions make up over half of all abortions in the United States, But the reality is that one in five women who are taking the chemical abortion drugs will experience complications that require further medical attention. And so these drugs are not just an obvious harm to preborn lives, but they also are putting the health, welfare, safety of the women who are taking them at risk. And so this case was started in November of last year. And then On Friday, a federal judge in Texas ruled that mifepristone should be pulled off the market while the case is ongoing. And so the FDA quickly appealed that to the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, who then ruled, we're recording this on Thursday, they 
ruled last night that um, Mifepristone should stay on the market while the case is ongoing, but they reinstated those important safety precautions that had been stripped away. So basically what that means is that starting Friday, um, you will no longer be able to order abortion drugs through the mail. They won't be able to be prescribed via telemedicine. They'll also limit them to the first seven weeks of pregnancy, whereas they had originally or recently been changed to cover the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. And so that is what the Fifth Circuit ruled. But the FDA has said that they are going to appeal that up to the Supreme Court on an emergency appeal. And so we'll likely hear from the Supreme Court in the the coming days as to basically the status of Mifepristone while the litigation is ongoing. None of these rulings have actually been about the merits of the case. That will be argued again later. Um, This is all about what is going to be the availability of the abortion drugs while this case is ongoing. So it's, like I said, moving very quickly, changing rapidly, very confusing, but we are are closely watching this case and we'll certainly be updating you all on social media, on our site, trying to keep you informed with what's going on. And um, we know that this matters to Southern Baptist because we care about life. We care about um, seeing women served and protected and the chemical abortion drugs are harmful to both. And so this is something we're heavily engaging in and are watching really closely. And it's really a fulfillment of uh, what we and other pro-life organizations have been talking about since the Dobbs decision. And that's that one of the new frontiers of the abortion debate is the abortion pill. And we are seeing this live in action. And I think sooner maybe than people had anticipated. So we definitely are eagerly awaiting what's going to happen here especially as there has been an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court. So speaking of the Supreme Court, Hannah, I just want to talk about some practical ways of understanding the Supreme Court, why we talk about it, why we care about it, why we advocate before the Supreme Court. So what is the importance of Supreme Court cases? Why should Southern Baptists care about the Supreme Court? Yeah, so I think you're really, you you hit on it there. And I think we kind of have to take a step back and look at why in recent years has the Supreme Court seemed like it has just taken on increasing importance in our lawmaking. And I think, you know, if you go back, put on your your fourth grade civics hat, you'll remember that we have three co-equal branches of government, but that's only kind of partially true. It, It was supposed to be that the legislative branch, which would be Congress, was supposed to be really the one pushing the ball forward on making laws governing our country. And, you know, our founders, I think they thought, you know, Congress was going to be passing laws left and right, and it was going to be up to the executive branch and the judiciary to kind of rein them in a little bit. But that is not the reality that we are living in. Um, Instead, we have a Congress that is pretty dysfunctional, and we are living in a time where our country is pretty evenly divided so that there are not large majorities, um, hardly ever, in Congress anymore, which makes it really difficult for them to legislate. It would require them to compromise and take difficult votes and things that they don't really want to do. So in Congress's absence, if you will, um, their lack of governing and legislating that really has shifted a lot of power to both the executive branch and the judiciary. 
So what often ends up happening is that Congress fails to address a problem. So then the executive, which would be like the president or the federal agencies, they push forward regulations or executive actions that maybe are not even legal. And then it's up to the judiciary to make sense of all of that and figure out what actually is a correct interpretation of the laws we do have. And so it really has just added a lot of importance to the Supreme Court because it is often up to them to make final decisions on issues that Congress really should be legislating. So do we watch these cases so closely because of the power that the decisions wield and really the power that's in the hands of these nine justices? Yeah, so I I think you're exactly right. It is there's a lot of power that's concentrated there. So if we were to not engage in that arena of our government, we would be missing out on often where some of the most important decisions are being made. And um, we we certainly want to represent Southern Baptists in the courts. You know, we primarily focus on the Supreme Court, but just as we've seen with the abortion pill, there are important decisions that are being made at the district court level and the appeals courts and you know, we we definitely, as the ERLC, want to engage that well and represent Southern Baptists well by watching that closely. So are we able, just to clarify, are we or any organization able to advocate at the, the lower court level or is that something that's that can't happen? So generally, the way that an organization like ours could, if you will, advocate before the courts or make our opinions known or urge them to rule a certain way, that is primarily done through what's called an amicus brief. An amicus brief means a friend of the court brief. That would be a way that a group like ours can partner with other like-minded organizations, or we could we could even submit it on our own. Um, members of Congress will often file these, basically laying out a perspective that they want the justices to consider saying, you know, Southern Baptists have an interest in this. Here's why we have an interest in this. We think it's an important case for you to take up, or it's an important case for you to consider our perspective, and eventually urging them to rule a certain way. And so you are able to file amicus briefs at the district and circuit court level, but that's typically less common. Generally, that is primarily reserved for the Supreme Court, um, but we we do it from time to time at the circuit court level and often at the Supreme Court. Okay, so you've mentioned these amicus briefs. I've also heard about us filing public comments. So what are those? What is the role of those public comments? Yes, so this kind of goes back to that same initial predicament that I was talking about earlier. In Congress's absence, the other branches get a little beefed up. So how that happens in the executive branch is through the federal rulemaking process, which is basically how the president or generally a a federal agency says, we want to make this change um, that they believe is consistent with law that has already been passed by Congress or established by the courts. And so they go through this process called rulemaking, um, and that's governed by what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. And if they don't go through this rulemaking process, the whole thing gets scrapped. Whatever they're trying to do gets thrown out by the courts. Um, We've seen this happen a lot in both the probably Obama, Trump, and Biden presidencies. 
And so generally how this works is they say, we think we want to change this regulation. We want to want to make a new rule. And so they have to get input from stakeholders, take meetings, do all these different things. And then when they're finally ready, they can do what's called a proposed rule. And the proposed rule lays out all of the legal reasoning for what they're doing. It points to why they think it's important and necessary, and then kind of delves into what this change is, what it means. So after they um, publish that in what's called the Federal Register, it opens up for a period of public comment. And this is where groups like us come in, but it can also be where any individual citizen who is interested in these things can get involved as well. So um, it's opened up for public comment, which means that anybody is able to voice their support or opposition to the rule. And then the agency is actually required to read and respond to every single one of those comments. So your comment could be something as simple as, I think this rule is bad. And they would still have to read and respond to that. But organizations like ours, we write more thorough and maybe higher quality comments that give feedback on the rule saying, we are specifically concerned about this piece of it. You need to take this into consideration. You should change course on this. Or if we're supportive, we are especially supportive of these different parts of the regulation, or we think it's important you do this because of X, Y, Z. And we're able to bring the perspective of our churches and show how whatever this change may be would impact the people in our churches impact the ability of faith-based institutions to interact with government or whatever it may be. And so um, this is a time where it's important to have higher quality comments like ours, but it's also important to have quantity because they are required to read and respond to each of them. It's kind of a, a strategy of trying to slow down harmful rules until potentially that person is out of office because this whole process can take years and years and years um, it's a very slow and tedious process. Oftentimes, controversial rules will have hundreds of thousands of comments that have to be read and responded to. And so this is a really important way that we are able to engage with the federal government and with federal agencies as they are carrying out their work and are often doing this kind of under the radar, but they have they have big implications for the things we care about, like life and religious liberty. So this is a huge piece of our work here in DC is responding to these comments, providing feedback, and trying to improve what the agencies are doing. And Hannah, what it really boils down to is that the legal system is complicated. <laughs> I'm so <Very>. thankful for, <laughs> for professionals who are able to do this and people who pay a lot of money to go to law school. <laughs> to Me learn too. these things because it is so, so complicated. I'm thankful for your work in this area. And the last thing I want to ask you is, even as we just talked about briefly about this abortion pill case, and we saw that this group, pro-life healthcare workers, appealed to Texas, and then that decision was appealed to New Orleans, and then it's appealed by emergency <laughs> to the Supreme Court. Uh, how That gives us a little window, but just talk about how a case makes it up to the Supreme Court. And could any case make it up to the Supreme Court? Yeah, so it is definitely not any case could make it. And it is normally a long and complicated process to get there. This abortion pill case is a bit of an exception because it is going up on 
what we often call the rocket docket or an emergency appeal. Um, So it is kind of outside of this normal process. So generally, a case that's operating in more normal procedure can make it to the Supreme Court if it is a dispute between different states or if there is a split between different circuits. Um, for example, in this abortion pill case, if it it's a bit confusing. It's, it's gone up on the rocket docket now, but it may come back through a more normal order um, at a later time when they're actually taking it on the merits. And what's happened in that case is a judge in Washington actually ruled something completely opposite of what the judge in Texas ruled. So when you have a situation like that where judges are saying different things, that's often a time where the Supreme Court can get involved. And then also they have jurisdiction to review decisions of lower courts, which is the bulk of their cases that they take up are appeals from lower courts. And, you know, there are on average about 7,000 cases appealed to the Supreme Court each year. And of those, the justices will only choose about 70. And even of that, that's just a tiny, tiny fraction of all of the cases that are even in their orbit. So it is very difficult to get a case to the Supreme Court and and highly unlikely for just any run-of-the-mill case to end up there. So um, generally, a case that maybe the Supreme Court is considering taking up, the justices will review that case. They'll look at it, see if it is maybe answering a larger legal question that they think needs further clarification, or if this is a case that would be very narrow just on the the facts of that particular case. And, you know, it's important to note no one, including Congress or the president, can force the Supreme Court to hear a case. Um, It really is up to the justices. And they have a custom known as the rule of four, which means that four of the nine justices have to be in agreement that they want to hear and take a case. So once they have at least four that want to hear that, they issue a writ of certiorari, and that directs the lower court to bring those records up from the case, and they are going to hear it on appeal. And so generally, as I was saying, these are, are cases that are going to have an impact on the whole country or clarify a legal issue that's kind of murky Um, rather than just cases that are super narrow or specific to a set of facts. So the the gist of all of that is that it is very hard to get a case to the Supreme Court. In 2018, I believe there was over 370,000 filings in district court, and then just under 50,000 made it up to the regional appeals courts. And then, as we said, just 70 made it to the actual uh, Supreme Court's docket. So it is a very slim number of cases that actually make it there. Um, and those are, are generally ones that have big importance. They're ones that we want to be engaging on and watching closely. So that is is why we prioritize really engaging at the Supreme Court. Yes, we because we know those cases are important and will have a national effect. And we don't watch all of them as closely because they don't fall within the ministry assignment that Southern Baptists have given to us regarding religious liberty, human dignity, sanctity of life, and marriage and family. But the ones that do fall within those ministry assignments, we're watching closely and we are working hard regarding them. So circling back to this abortion pill case, we will be watching it closely and we will do everything we can to stand for 
the right to life of our smallest and most vulnerable neighbors, those who are preborn, and for the protection of vulnerable mothers and families who find themselves at the hands of a predatory abortion industry. Hannah, thank you so much for helping us kind of understand the Supreme Court, like we said. Really, the takeaway from today is that it's just all really complicated. And we hope in the future to be able to dive into this more to help people like me. I need one of those books, The Supreme Court for Dummies or the, The Judicial System for Dummies. So I'm thankful for your help in understanding just a small part of it. No, I I need the Supreme Court for Dummies book, too. Let me know when you find it. (laughs) Um, As we're closing out, one thing I feel like it's important to note is that we we realized after we recorded last week that we failed to mention only maybe the most important day on the Christian calendar— Easter this past Sunday. <laughs> so, uh, Lindsay, did you have a good Easter? We did. I mean, we were texting each other about it. And <laughs> it, yeah, so I'm not sure how we missed that other than our heads were just swimming in the details we were talking about. But I did. I always love to gather with the church. And one of the songs we sang was In Christ Alone, which I'm sure is like one of Thousands of churches were singing that around the world. But I just feel like it always blows the roof off the place. Just that truth. It's a reality that we are standing in. It is as good as done. That's our hope and that's our future. Even though we can't see the Lord, He is risen, He's alive, and He's coming again. So I am, I'm so thankful for that. Especially uh, in light of the tragedy that happened in Nashville. And then, of course, this week, a tragedy in Louisville. It's just hope in Jesus will not disappoint. And so come Lord Jesus. What about you, Hannah? Did you have a good Easter? I did. I went home to my family in Tennessee. So it was really fun to get to spend some time with them and uh, just have a a few days away to kind of rest and refresh a little bit. And yeah, I think all of the tragedies of, of the last couple of weeks were really fresh on my mind. And I think I just was feeling especially grateful that you know, death and despair and sadness and and all of those things that are so, you know, we we know that they're there, but then these kinds of tragedies just make us really come face to face with those realities. And I think it just made me grateful even more than I always am that those things don't have the final word and, and that our, you know, we do have hope. And even though the world is so broken and there's so much hurt and all of those things. You know, we we know that this is not our our ultimate home and and someday things are going to be made right. And it was really special to get to to celebrate Easter in light of all of that. That's a good word, Hannah. And it also made me thankful for Good Friday that we don't have a savior who is unable to sympathize with us, but he suffered more than any of us will ever have to suffer. And he is acquainted with our sufferings. He's acquainted with those who are grieving and hurt and suffering. And so I'm thankful, but I'm thankful that it doesn't end at Good Friday. Like you said, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's the truth that we minister and operate out of. And that's why we're here serving Southern Baptists because of that truth. Hannah, I hope that the rest of your day is less stressful and that you get to just take a breather and enjoy uh, your Diet Coke with lime <laughs> and uh, and get something good to eat for lunch and uh, kick your feet up at some point. I hope so too. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. 
The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Thank mm-hmm. you.